When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Nonprofit Professional Performance 360 Magazine. Hi, this is Paul Lemberg, and I want to welcome you to Orchestrating Success with Hugh Ballou. This podcast is all about ways to redefine leadership as a pathway to increasing your business or nonprofit income. Now, here's Hugh with today's session. Well, this is another version of orchestrating success, and I've got Kurt Frankham on here. And Kurt and I are passionate about leadership, and we discovered each other on LinkedIn and went back and forth and had a conversation, and we decided we wanted to share information with our mutual audiences. So, Kurt, welcome to Orchestrating Success. Hey, Hugh, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I, I, I love talking with other podcasters because people just don't understand the, the struggle it is, so I, I uh, celebrate your success with the podcast. Um, people find me, and I don't know how they find me, but they do, <laughs> right. and, and um, you and I come from uh, a similar background. I served mainline Protestant churches for 40 years and rallied people in music ministry, creating ensembles. But in, um, in my church in Atlanta, Georgia, I was, uh, I was a staff person, which you, you do leadership in the LDS church. And in big Presbyterian and Methodist churches, it's a paid position. And I discovered that 90% of my job as music director was music. The mm. rest of it was made music possible. So I learned to create systems and influence people. And so I'd love to swap stories with you. But before we get on onto the questions and digging into your your knowledge base tell our listeners about yourself i prefer for my guests to speak about themselves rather than me trying to read a boring uh bio so talk a little bit about your background and why you're doing this sure well at the end of the day i'm just a a typical mormon boy from salt lake city grew up in in uh city just outside Salt Lake called West Valley City. And, uh, you know, born and raised in the, the LDS church and went through the, jumped through the typical Mormon hoops and uh, served a mission in uh, Sacramento, California. I had the opportunity of learning Spanish because it uh, feels like Northern Mexico there some days and had a great pleasure of, uh, of uh, serving among the, the Spanish speaking population there and uh, sharing our message. And after my, uh, after my mission, which is two years, uh, I came home and a few years later got married. And then I was sort of dumped in, uh, in church leadership. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative sense, but uh, in the LDS church and the Mormon faith, it's all a lay ministry. And so whether you're a PhD, a plumber, a mechanic, anybody in the, in the local congregation or ward can be called as the bishop or the, the, the presiding uh, priest of that of that area and so I uh, moved into an area that was in in the inner city uh, area and uh, of Salt Lake and had no uh, inclination or desire to necessarily lead the congregation but uh, a few years into that uh, I was called in at the age of uh, 28 uh, which most 
bishops serve uh, when they are in their late 30s, early 40s. And they asked me to be the bishop uh, at 28 years old uh, and to preside over about 500 people in the in the, the Salt Lake area there in that in, in our ward. And uh, I knew I knew nothing about leadership. You know, I had served in uh, with other bishops. I had been uh, an elders quorum president over a smaller group of of uh, some of the priesthood men. And uh, there I was expected to, to stand and be a dynamic leader and to meet with individuals and counsel with them and recommend, you know, whether it's professional therapy or, or counsel them on uh, maybe a, a difficult marriage that they're in, or, you know, the typical things maybe a, a clergy is found doing. And uh, that's when I realized, you know, there maybe could be some more resources out there that could help LDS leaders. I'd go into a Barnes and Noble and see bookshelves full of incredible dynamic books that would help you know, people in the business world that they're striving to lead. So I wanted to take some of those principles, you know, Stephen Covey, another famous Mormon leader, uh, Stephen Covey, uh, you know, Liz Wiseman, a lot of these that have written incredible books and take those principles and apply them to LDS church leadership. And that sort of uh, spurred on a, a podcast, which I produce around leadership in the context of, of the Mormon faith. And then, um, and then we turned it into a nonprofit called Leading LDS, where we're striving to help lay leaders in the church enhance their ability and capacity as they face these uh, difficult situations as lay leaders. Oh, that's pretty profound. Um, I, I understand that from my many years of serving a church. Now, uh, you call it a ward. It's like a, a parish for a Catholic yeah. or Episcopal church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and it's run by volunteers, basically, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the unique thing is, is uh, wherever you move, you are assigned to a ward. So I can't go out and just shop uh, and find the pastor or the bishop that, that resonates with me or likes me. If you're in a geographical area, the, the church has determined what ward or parish that, that you would you will attend, right? And so you go there and everybody sort of takes their turn. I served as bishop for about five years and then somebody else served after me. And then after him, somebody else will serve for about five to six years as, as pretty average. And so it's, it creates this unique leadership dynamic that, um, you know, nobody's paid, nobody really wants to serve, but if they're asked, uh, you know, we obviously believe a lot of these callings and, and assignments come through inspiration and revelation. And so we feel like, you know, we're, we're called of God and, and want to step up and, and serve as, as we're asked to do. But, um, it's interesting to see that that responsibility passed around and, and yeah, we're all, all volunteers that uh, work a 40, 50 hour week, maybe, you know, in our day to day job. And then on the weekends and, and in the evenings, we're acting as clergy and uh, doing our best at it. That's, that's amazing. So you got called into a leadership position and did I heard, hear you say you didn't know leadership? Well, you know, I, I would just graduated college. I had a marketing degree and, uh, you know, I had served as a, a bishop counselor who was sort of an, as, as an assistant to the bishop before that. Um, and then on, on different smaller auxiliaries within the local ward. I, when it comes to life problems or, you know, collecting tithing funds and, and standing and delivering uh, sermons that are going to impact individuals in, in a positive way and help them progress through the gospel. So when people ask the famous question, are you a born leader or did you learn leadership? What is your answer to that? <laughs> I've definitely learned leadership. I think, you know, there, there's certain, uh, 
certain experiences that were put in my life that maybe helped me develop and, and catch on to some of these, um, some of these skills. But, you know, after being Bishop, I, I then served in what's called a stake presidency and a stake is a group of, of wards. And so I was over a, a handful, about seven or eight bishops and their wards and helping mentor those bishops and helping them serve. And it's remarkable to see those new bishops come in that, yeah, you know, they, um, a lot of them, I think the vast majority would claim that they were definitely, uh, they, they were not born as leaders and they are really looking for help in developing that. So in my experience, yeah, it was something that through experience, I made a lot of mistakes, but, uh, and not that I'm, uh, I, you know, I don't claim to be the, the, the Mormon leadership guru by any means. There's much more people fit for that title, but, um, but yeah, it's something that I'm grateful for these experiences that, that, other leaders took a chance on me with when I had very little experience, but it's helped me develop personally in a way that uh, that's remarkable and has blessed my life. Well, now um, we're talking to business leaders on, on this particular podcast. Um, so what, and when I talk to business leaders, I tell them that I develop my methodology in a mega church. And yeah. so they say, well, well, Hey, what is, why is that relevant to business? And my response is, if you can do it in the church, you can certainly do it in business because it's a whole lot harder when you're working with volunteers. Um, so what, you know, you can respond to that, that paradigm, but what, what can business leaders learn from your, your LDS model? Yeah, well, I would encourage people, you know, regardless if you have a connection to the, the LDS or Mormon faith, uh, to maybe go visit a, a church and, and just admire what's happening there because we're sort of a, a leadership light, uh, leadership laboratory or, uh, because um, what's happening is imagine that you're in your position as a manager, as a CEO or an executive, but imagine that you're limited to a certain geographical neighborhood or area and you can only hire people within that area. So as a bishop, if I needed a new uh, organist or a new um, what they call Relief Society president, who's the, the, the female leader over the, the women's organization, I couldn't uh, you know, send out a plea for resumes. I could only go for a handful selected of, uh, of streets and area and say, okay, what do I got? And, and who, who can step up to this and, and really lead? And a lot of time, you know, there, there wasn't obvious choices for a lot of these positions. And so... Um, I think as a, as a secular leader, it's, these are interesting maybe paradigms to put yourself in and say, if I couldn't fire anybody, because we can't, we can't fire anybody, we can change their calling maybe, but we can't just say, hey, listen, this isn't working out, go away. We have to put them somewhere else in our organization to serve, right? And we have to do in a way that, you know, we can't, of course, people get offended, but we want them to to love attending church, not feel like, oh man, they fired me from this calling. So imagine that in your leadership, if you're, if, if you could not fire anybody, if you could only select from a very small demographic, how would you lead differently? And I think just pondering over that and, and, you know, visiting an LDS church and seeing how that works and trading those responsibilities around that, okay, I was a leader for five years. Now it's your turn. Now I sit in the, in the pews and look at this person who maybe was, my assistant or somebody else. And now I consider him my leader. There's these, just these small leadership um, uh, dynamics in the LDS faith and a lay ministry that really will cause a leader to pause and reevaluate maybe how they lead and how they can, how they can excel with these limitations. And, and even outside that recognize the limitations you have in your organization and see them as strengths and how you can apply them as, as better strengths. We do have a lot of listeners that run small businesses and um, they're, they're economically limited 
as well as geographically limited many, many times. And, and so that paradigm works really well. Um, and so, so you're, um, you have, what do you, your business is outside of the normal church. You, you do this as a, as a volunteer, but leading LDS is your nonprofit that you, you teach leadership with. Right, exactly. So leading LDS is a separate third party organization that is supplementing um, the resources of leadership development for the LDS church. And so, you know, when I was called as a, as a bishop, I was given a handbook and a pat on the back and said, good luck. And uh, away I went. And so we're trying to, to connect some of these resources to those lay leaders that are sort of uh, treading water and they think, I just need some ideas or thoughts. So we connect those you know, a bishop in Maine may be doing something different than a bishop in Texas, and I help share those ideas by, by interviewing them on the podcast or sharing different uh, resources or tools that they're using within their, their local wards to do that. So, I'll put a link in, but tell us where your pod, what's your podcast called? It's called Leading LDS. Simple Duh. as that. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> um, yeah. I do have... Um, lots of Mormon friends. And, um, I would say they're all high performers. They're very serious about what they're doing. Um, I, f I also find that, uh, my Mormon friends are very astute business people. And so there's, uh, there's, uh, attributes of the Mormon culture that are kind. There's, uh, attributes that are focused. There are attributes of I'm serious about what I'm doing. It's important work. And is that all tied to your spiritual calling? You know, I, uh, I would hate to take away, you know, their, their grit and hard work of going through schooling and developing that. But, but yeah, you know, in the, in the LDS faith, you know, when I was 19 years old here, it's, it's cultural norm for, for these young men and women to go on missions. And I was dropped in Sacramento and I, I had never experienced homesickness like I did at that time. And, and I really had to step up and, and look at myself and say, I can either flourish or, or shrink in this situation. And so, you know, I think these, um, and there's a great book uh, called the, the Mormon Way of Doing Business came about about 10 years ago that talks about, you know, David Nealman who started JetBlue and um, some of these other executives, um, uh, David Checkets, who I think he's still the president of the New York Knicks, um, and some of these uh, LDS uh, Mormon individuals who've had great business success and talks about some of these concepts. And a lot of that is attributed uh, to not only their, their Mormon mission as, as young men and women when they really had to step up and, and define themselves in, as an individual, but also once, once re you return, you know, we're still asked to lead in various capacities. And, and I would say if you're a manager out there, a CEO or executive, and, and you happen to know that somebody's LDS, or you should ask them, have you ever been an elders quorum president? What sort of leadership have you uh, held in your, your local ward? And how's that developed you? You may find um, out in, uh, characteristics about that individual that will give you ideas of maybe how you can better better utilize them in in the capacities in their in their secular job. That's fascinating. When um, I was remembering my work at a twelve thousand member church in Atlanta, Georgia, and I worked with I had seven hundred and fifty people in music ministry, all of whom were volunteers in multiple events to plug into every week. And we were on national TV and local TV, et cetera. So the, the pressure was pretty high to motivate people to show up. And when I got there, somebody told me they'd lost 200 members in the adult choir. That was like um, 
your Mormon Tabernacle Choir losing its core of singers and having yeah. a handful left. Wow. So it's, you know, your choir is bigger, but still uh, the critical mass and having 35 people to build from, and you got this big cavernous place to make sound. So it was an uphill battle, but it was, um, I, I worked with um, executives, CEOs from major companies who were in, in the choirs, who were in the committees, who were in the leadership of the church. And I earned their respect because I could motivate people to follow a track and get things done. And I, I, I'm curious when I, I hear people that are in the MLM industry or some other where they have contract labor, uh, people who aren't really in their employee to say, oh, I can't tell them what to do because it's their own business. Well, I had a whole bunch of people that weren't in business that did, did the directive that, that, we, that we inspired. And we created the compelling reason for what we're doing. And, and so I got a lot of respect from CEOs because I could motivate people by influence, not by power of position, yeah. which is to me, um, one of the attributes of transformational leadership. You may be familiar with the words of burn of the works of Burns and Bass, who in the eighties developed this whole concept of transformational leadership, which is certainly like an orchestra, like a choir, it's building a culture and influencing that culture to function at a higher level. So what I would I say back to you that um, I influence business leaders because of methodology and influence. So from your side, business leaders coming into the laboratory that you suggested, um, is, is that kind of a learning experience that business leaders could, could expect? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, as I was preparing for this interview with you, Hugh, I, I put down four principles that uh, maybe a, a secular leader or, um, you know, a manager in, in, the, in their everyday life can learn from LDS leaders and, and the, the challenges that we face. And one of those being, you know, seeing your, your uh, strengths or your limitations and strengths. But another one I would say is, um, what would you do if you didn't have classic leveraging tools of motivation? You couldn't, you couldn't demote somebody. You couldn't take their salary away. You couldn't, you couldn't uh, fire them. They're all volunteers, right? So, so how do you approach that? And we have a fantastic scripture uh, in, in our Doctrine and Covenants, which is uh, canonized scripture, just like the Bible and Book of Mormon is to us. And, and it says, no power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the, of the leadership only by persuasion, long-suffering, by gentleness and meekness and by love unfeigned. And so it sort of gives you a whole new uh, approach to, to motivating individuals when you can't just yank their salary away or, or give them these harsh consequences that'll impact their, their family life, right? And so it's through this meekness and long suffering, really connecting and getting to know these individuals and you know, the, just like servant leadership, transformational leadership, these are all different ways of saying this, but really leading in a way that connects with the individual so they do want to have influence and realize they are a leader themselves that can have remarkable impact on their local ward or, or where, or even at work that they are, uh, where they have uh, dominion over important responsibilities. I, um, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I had a couple a volunteer that was in, in one of my programs, one of my churches, and it just wasn't working. <laughs> so I asked them come in and have an interview. And I, I said, um, let me spell you with somebody else to do this for a while so you can regain control of your life. And then we'll come back and find, find another place for you to share your talents. And it was kind of a painful conversation. They said, yep. Yeah. It was like they were relieved 
And they said, okay. So we had a hug and a parting and they left. And I said, okay, now I got to put my new leaders in place. So I looked out the window and the first person they met, they were skipping and jumping and smiling saying, we got fired from our job. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. We have the same dynamic. (laughs) Well, and if it isn't working, um, either in a business context or a volunteer context, everybody knows it. Yeah. And it, it's, and we, we don't address it. So it's so one of the, one of the, the conflict management pieces I encourage people to embrace is you move toward conflict as soon as it's there, because it doesn't get better right. if you don't address it and remain calm and address the facts um, so what is your advice when you've yeah. got somebody either in business or a volunteer in a, in a charity that it just didn't work out? What is from your perspective, what's your advice on how to deal with that changing their job or moving them out of the space? What's your advice? Yeah. You know, obviously every leader wants to establish a really healthy culture in their organization and there's nothing more uh, damaging to that culture than this passive, passive aggressive like attitude of like, Oh, well, we, we appreciate your time serving in this position, but man, do we need you over here passing out the hymn books as people enter? We just, we don't, there's nobody else that can do it. So you must do it. Right. And so this is one thing I I preach a lot on, on leading LDS is just the, there's nothing more valuable to a leader, in my opinion, than this ability to effectively communicate on a one-to-one situation. And I get, I get, questions and situations emailed me all the time of saying, okay, we're, I have this difficult person that that's in my ward or that's in my primary release society. And what, what should I do with them? And, and 90% of the time, it's just, you need to go have a conversation with them. And if you don't know how to have a conversation with them, you need to go develop those skills to have that conversation. And, and that's one thing in our culture that sometimes, you know, very religious culture, we kind of feel like, Hey, I'm, I'm called of God. So therefore I should have these, these abilities given to me in the moment that I need them to, to handle these leadership positions. But it really is up to that leader to taking the time out, listening to podcasts like Orchestrating for Success and, and, and these types of things to really develop these, these skills so that you're an effective leader. It's not just going to come because they call you a leader. Absolutely. And what you just described was a triangle in, in relationship. You have that local leader calling you about a third person. So there's mm-hmm. three people in the relationship, which is neutral. You know, there are uh, triangles of the basic building blocks of human relationships. And so what that person may have wanted to do is to triangle that other person, which is another way of looking at passive aggressive. They want to dump all their energy on you and, and have you do something about it, which happens in the, in the, the, the life of the church. That's, that's a culture that people sometimes unload on third person about that other person, which doesn't solve the problem. And what, what you did was undo the triangle and say, go face to face, address the situation and develop the skills to do that. And no, God didn't download these skills to your, your hard drive. Um, <laughs> you need to think about it in, in faith, God's giving you certain abilities, but God's also giving you the ability to think and speak the truth. Uh, Paul said, speak the truth in love. And we dodge around it. We just kind of hint around instead of saying, you know, this isn't working out. How can we remedy it? And sometimes a person will want to upgrade their skills and we can, we can mentor them in that. Sometimes they're going to say, well, just this isn't working for me either. And they know it and they may not know how to tell you that they want out of it. Right. And so I think it's a direct one-to-one conversation. You want to 
respond yeah. to that, that paradigm. Yeah, I think, and that's the beauty of it is when you learn how to have these conversations, it's not like this person that's struggling in this calling or assignment is oblivious to their, their, um, you know, their lack of ability. Right. And so by having that conversation with love, again, going back to, you know, with meekness, love unfeigned and, and connecting with that person, they're more likely to say, you know what? Yeah. I, I hate failing at this thing too. Do you have any suggestions as the way I can be better? Or maybe there's just a better place for me to be. And then you don't have this weird, like, uh, you know, I, again, this passive aggressive uh, relationship of like, oh, remember that time you fired me, but we never talk about it, right? And uh, and and it, and they move on to the next position where they can maybe flourish, and they still love you as their leader because you took the time to have that interaction and and express love with that love to them um, in a way that will help them flourish elsewhere. And I, I'm, we're talking to a business audience in this podcast. There's there's a lot to learn. Um, from being able to manage self and speak clearly in this culture. And so that question asked you a while ago, how can business leaders learn all of this? Leadership is leadership. Good leadership is good leadership, no matter where you are. And in the context you're working, it's more difficult. Um, By the way, in, um, in my methodology, when I was inside the church, I developed this paradigm of, uh, we're called to ministry, so why are we calling people volunteers? I don't know if you call them volunteers or not, but yeah. I started this initiative in the last church I served, and we outlawed the word volunteer because we're teaching everybody in our theology that God calls you to Christian service. And so it's, 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 it's in conflict for you to say, I want to volunteer for stuff, rather than say I'm called to a leadership. So we adopted, and you mentioned servant leadership, that's certainly a title, um, uh, we, we adopted a title, title, Members in Ministry, which worked for the church. It was us in a leadership position, and it changed the whole paradigm of performance. People saw themselves as a leader, and we had lots of people doing lots of stuff joyfully because they had a track, a leadership track. And it wasn't the volunteer mentality, I'm going to show up and do the least I can because I'm a volunteer, you know. Um, so it, it was a paradigm shift, and, and, and my bias is we have to let go of some words to be able to let go of the old paradigm and shift to a new one. So what's your response to that methodology? Yeah, you know, in, in, the, in the Mormon faith, the nomenclature of, of these volunteer assignments is it's my calling, right? And so you can be, we use that, what's your calling? Oh, I was just called to this position, right? And so there's, but I think we've gone too far with it to the point we've used it for so long, for so many years that it has the same connotation as if, even if we just said volunteer, right? And so this goes to when I started leading LDS, our, the slogan that I say at the end of each episode is be a leader not a calling, right? And you could, you can insert whatever word there is, be a leader, not a, not a volunteer, not a manager, not an executive, right? Because in my, in my opinion, leadership is something that you step up to. You you don't, you're not always dragged there and said, you're a leader, wear your crown and enjoy it. Right. And and be effective. Um, But leadership is something that we need to find in each one of ourselves and say, I can have influence somewhere in the world. Where's it going to be? And for me as a young, you know, 28 year old, I was asked to be Bishop and I thought, well, I can either flounder or, or flourish. And not that I was like the most, the most successful Bishop and there's statues of me everywhere by any means, but nonetheless, I saw it as a a great, as a calling, but as a great opportunity to lead and uh, leadership is, is uh, no better than, than when it's self-called. 
What's the biggest challenge you see in leadership anywhere, inside the church, inside a business? What's the biggest challenge in today's convoluted, toxic world? What's the biggest challenge for leadership today? You know, that's a great question, and, and many books have been written on that, and, and I would probably change my answer maybe month to month, but most recently, I've been very struck with this topic of, of the role of shame in organizations, and especially, Ooh. it almost becomes more highlighted in, in religious uh, situations because, you know, we go to this, we go to our, our uh, the chapel every Sunday and, and there's always this undertone of you're not doing enough. You need to do better. Keep the commandments, you know, do be more, be more. And of course I want to be a part of an organization that, yeah, that I go to and it's constantly encouraging me to be better, but it's so easy for the adversary that we would have in our doctrine that for Satan to, to twist that and say, you know what, you're just not good enough. And because you're just not good enough, you're broken. And if you're broken, you don't belong here, right? And then that person internalizes that message of, of this system broke me, this church broke me, or this organization broke me. I don't want to work there because they just shame me. They make me feel less than myself. So there's this subtle balance for a leader to be encouraging, to be motivating without being shaming. And uh, I've been doing lots and lots of research and interviews around this topic of how can we better um, lead without shaming. And, uh, and it's, it's valuable. I mean, there's so much, you know, Brene Brown has done some remarkable research on it and, and her Ted talk, which is uh, one of the most listened to about this concept of vulnerability and shame and recognizing it and getting it out of your life. There's nothing that comes from God that is laced in shame and there's no place for it in, in the, in the church, nor, nor is there any place for it, uh, in any organization. Well, when we're demeaning ourselves, we're demeaning God and cause we're a creation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in this series of podcasts, uh, uh, number 42, is my colleague, Dr. David Gruder, who's an organizational psychologist, and he talks about the shadow. Mm. That's, that's what you're, uh, part of what you're talking about is the shadow, the, the negative scripts that we have that, that limit our ability. Yeah. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy, no matter where we're leading. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, it's too bad. So, you know, there's that... I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you referred to that. That that's a. Um, it's a hidden liability for leaders. It's really yeah. a problem, and um, so, um, this podcast is called orchestrating success. Obviously, you've. I I, I picked up when you said you prepared for this podcast. That's that's. Uh, thank you. That honors what I'm doing and what sure. people are expecting that listen to this and. Um, uh, you check me out, and you obviously know that I'm a musical conductor. Yeah. And so what we do is we or orchestrating is how you define the instruments that play, but it's also adding energy to to that idea that's notes on paper that becomes sounds, glorious sounds. Um, the subtitle is converting passion to profit, and I'm a I'm a, 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 a champion. For profit in all of its forms. You know, the scripture says, what does a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? So that's a different element of profit. And um, we can be a profit for profit, and we can profit from the, the synergy of the community. And so what I want people to do is to profit in their leadership methodology, their vision for uh, in empowering themselves and their teams through this series of interviews. So speaking to that paradigm, what's the most important takeaway that you've had? Now you were a bishop at 28. 
you don't look a whole lot older than that. You know, <laughs> I'm 35, so it's been a few years. You're not a whole, I'm 71. You're not a whole lot older than that. <laughs> I've still got a lot to learn, for sure. <laughs> I can remember 35. It's kind of fuzzy. <laughs> so um, what would you like people to take away? We're, we're kind of, I think we've covered our topics really well. And if yeah. there's something else you want to cover here, I'm happy to do that. But I also want you to think about, and I'm going to do a commercial here, we, we um, were able to do our work because we have really powerful sponsors that offer great value um, to, to leaders. And our, our sponsor for today's podcast is umccybercampus.com. It's the, it's the online learning portal for Christian leaders. It's degree programs, it's continuing learning programs, and it would be something that I think you're your folks would want to know about. It's umccybercampus.com, UMC Cyber Campus. It's amazing programs that empower Christian leaders no matter where they are in the world. And it's study where you are. So check out, they make these programs possible uh, for us to do for free or very low cost in our live events in cities. And Salt Lake City is on our radar for 2018 to do a live event. We'd love to collaborate with you on that. UMC, United Methodist Church, cyber, C-O-I-B-E-R, campus.com. So um, back to my question. What, what are the takeaways that you would like to emphasize for leaders wanting to up their game in any, any space, in an entrepreneurial space, charity space, church space? wherever. What are some empowerment pieces that you'd like to leave people with? Yeah, no, and, and, and pleasure to do so. And again, I thank you, you for giving me a, a stage here to uh, talk a lot about what I've learned as a developing leader. And, and uh, you know, my overall message that I love people to take away is that, you know, be a leader and not a calling. Um, you know, are, are, wherever it is that you lead, are you leading because you are you were called to that or asked to, to, to lead or hired as a leader? Or are you leading because you find a, a passion in your life to step up and, and really have an influence for good in your world and your surrounding? Uh, you also, you mentioned my age at 35, you know, uh, one of the, the principles I, I wanted to mention is for leaders out there in the, even in the secular world that are maybe managers or, um, you know, executives, Somebody took a, took a chance on the 28-year-old young kid to be a bishop, and it really impacted me as a person, and hopefully I had positive influence in that role. But don't underestimate, you know, speaking as one of the older millennials in the world, don't underestimate the power of those millennials out there, and don't, don't wait on them to lead. That doesn't mean you have to, you know, fire all your 60 and over executive staff and put a bunch of young guys and Levi's in there. But what I'm saying is look for opportunities for them to lead and to flourish so that by the time they, that you do need them to step up, they're ready to go and uh, they're ready to be a leader and not a calling. That's huge. Um, we're not engaging millennials as, as, a, as a sector. And boomers, I'm a boomer, you're a millennial. Um, we have similar values. We, we value some core principles that are the same, core values and principles, and we value um, – a lot of things we, that we see in common, but we have a different way of approaching it. And neither one's bad or good. It's just understanding the difference and celebrating the difference and creating uh, a diverse board, a diverse cadre of, of people who have been her servant leaders in any organization. So um, that's, a great, that's a great final thought. So, Kurt, 
Um, I see why you've been called in the leadership positions. You're, you're on top of your game, sir. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot. Thank you for being on this podcast, and thank you for sharing your message with so many people that tune in. Thank you. Thanks for listening today to the Orchestrating Success Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to stay focused on ways to redefine leadership and increase your profit. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.